Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for graphic designer Chad Michael. You know, I saw an opportunity and I don't drink that heavily, but there's something about anything that you can be addicted to. I'm interested in designing it, I think. I wouldn't trade the agency experience for anything. I would say it was it's necessary for anyone who wants to do their own thing. You got to go in there and know the ropes in like real world situations before jumping out and trying to do your own thing. It's such a good feeling. It's so amazing to think that people actually enjoy the stuff that I'm doing. It makes me want to create more stuff. Yes, yeah, so there is Chad over in Texas, and he's the final guest of this season. You know how, like, proper podcasters, they go, hey, it's the season, right? Yeah, well, this is the end of the season, which all it means is if you're listening to this as it goes out, I'm basically going to take the summer off. I talk about work-life balance so much, like, in my videos on YouTube and uh, in the talks I've done and my articles and all things like that. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to take a leaf out of my own book. So taking the summer off, most of my client work, uh, but also stuff like this, the podcast. So, yes... It, this is the last one. Of course, if you listen to this Mars in the future, it'll seamlessly go into the next one in September 2018. But anyway, that's uh, that's where it is. And I hope you have a great summer or winter if you're in a different uh, hemisphere, of course. And in those four weeks off, why not go and have a listen to loads of the older episodes? There's like, I think it's something like 135 episodes, including the recent live one that we did for National Freelancers Day. Uh, go back, go have a listen. Remember, whatever they do, do for a job it doesn't matter if it's not the same as you it's all about the being freelance hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts hit subscribe on youtube to the vlogs and um yeah just keep in touch i don't want to get emotional right let's crack on and hear from this week's guest who is graphic designer chad michael in texas hey chad hey how you doing i'm good i'm good really looking forward to this and let's get started hearing how you got started being freelance yeah so um i rather than going way back to you know like you know when i was a kid or anything like that uh i as fresh out of college i i took some jobs in in uh, new york area worked at several agencies there long story short i i just kind of got sick of working for other people i think that's how most freelancers end up being freelance as they're tired of working for other people. And so that's essentially it. I, I you know, I, I had a couple clients before I jumped ship just to have like a safety net. Started my own little studio in a little 500 square foot apartment out in New York. And that's kind of where it began. And then things just have been spiraling upwards or downwards, I guess, for uh, past four or five years. That's awesome. So when you were at the agency, were you gaining a reputation? When you eventually went freelance, did people know who you were? Had you made contacts? In? I think it was about maybe two or three months before I decided, hey, I'm in it, I'm committed, I'm going to leave, that I started to put my name out there. It wasn't before then that anyone knew who I was or had never seen any of my work, really. I mean, I think I had a dribble page, but I really didn't put a lot of stuff on it. And the stuff I was working on and agencies, they if I did put anything up, they're like, hey, take that down. You can't just show shit. So about three months prior to me jumping ship, I started uh, really getting on Behance and kind of creating hypothetical works in my off time, which is where Perminio Whiskey is one of the first projects I had done when I launched, launched a studio. It's actually still on my site. That's where that was born. So that's what kind of got my name out there was doing stuff like that. 
people started to take notice, which was nice. So you you were creating your own portfolio stuff in your own time. So a whiskey firm then saw it and went, yeah, we'd like that sort of packaging, right? How did they come across it? How did that? Okay, so to, to go back a little bit, I had worked at an agency that was specifically geared towards creating liquor and alcohol package design. So when I did decide to leave, I didn't have any clients from them really because I didn't steal any clients, but I had knowledge about the industry. So I kind of knew where to put the final design and in whose hands and passing out business cards to certain people and meeting with certain people in New York that were in the industry. And I think that's kind of how, word of mouth more than anything. And also like a lot of these alcohol, these liquor companies, the distillery startups, they look at these package design websites. And that's where a lot of my work was being featured was package design based websites. So so as you decided to go freelance, you've had enough of working for other people. I guess the temptation could be, I could design anything. <laughs> but, but it sounds like you thought, no, actually, this is what I've been doing. I'm going to niche on this straight away. Yeah, I think, you know, I saw an opportunity and I don't drink that heavily, but there's something about liquor design specifically that lets you create like super unique brand stories and the way you execute them and and just the final product, you just get a certain level of premiumness and a certain level of luxury that you don't get with other industries, other products. I mean, maybe with like makeup design uh, or cologne or perfume, you might get some of that, but you don't get to take it to the level that liquor does where you just it's just you can blow it out as much as you want. So I think that's really why I fell in love with it. I mean, it just stuff like that resonates with me like the liquor industry, I started doing c- stuff for cigar brands, cannabis, anything that you can be addicted to, I'm interested in designing it, I think. Your Instagram grid is just wonderful. And, and is that all your work or do you like to p- also put up stuff that you like? It's all my work. Brilliant. So it's like a, a living portfolio. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually, I would say Instagram is how I get, I think, most of my work. It's amazing. That platform has done wonders for me. I don't really know what I do without Instagram. It's really, it's crazy. But all the work on there is snippets of stuff I'm doing, I have done, projects that have come out. And do you like use Instagram to show behind the scenes or workings or is it all finished product? No, I think that's a rarity for me. And, and, you know, that's where I I kind of diverge paths when it comes to what regular designers do. Other designers is they show a lot of progress, I think. Um, And I think people want to see that. I just don't have an urge to share any of that for some reason. You know, I have over the past 10 years of doing this kind of developed certain methods and certain ways of working that uh, it took me 10 years to figure out. (laughs) So I don't want to like willingly spill the beans. You know what I mean? Like, took me a while to figure out how to, you know, take a project from beginning to end and pack as much as I pack into it in maybe a month or two months. Yeah. So you're not on, for example, stories showing who Chad Michael is. You just let the work speak for itself. Exactly. I don't even share a lot of my personal information either, like on Instagram. I don't know why either. I just, I feel like people are just not interested <laughs> in general. So like they don't want to see photos of what I eat or like my dog or, you know, like they just want to see what I, what I love doing. And that's the, the package design or the branding. Now, if people go to your website, they'll see Chad Michael Studio. Is that how you began Okay, so yes, the answer is yes. I've I've always uh, gone by my name. Uh, it's not my full ta- full name. It's actually my first and middle name, which I don't think a lot of people know. 
So I go by that because they're the least generic out of the three. And they're still fairly generic names. So I, so I, I went for Chad Michael because when I started, I was like, oh, I want to make a name for myself. I want people to kind of know who I am for my work. And so that's why it is the name and I didn't name it, you know, some peculiar name. But although if I were to go back in time, I would probably either change my name to something much more, I don't know, weird or esoteric, mysterious, whatever it may be, or go by a weird agency name that makes me seem much bigger than one person. Interesting. Part of you thinks actually you wish you did portray yourself as not yourself and a bigger yeah, thing? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And part of it too is because um, from a branding, branding aspect as well, uh, if the name was a lot cooler and if it was one word, it would be more fun to work with. <laughs> so it's one of those things where if it was like, I, I don't know what it would be like, black box design or treehouse design, whatever it may be, there would have been more opportunity for me to do I guess unusual logo types and things of that nature. And it, it's it's it was more of an, a chance, I think, for people to remember more easily the name. I just Chad Michael's always been so generic in my mind. I've always actually not even liked my first name. So it's just a bunch of things, man. I don't. <laughs> I don't no, it sounds like the wish of having called yourself something different actually comes from a creative point of view, as in I could have more fun with a different name rather than maybe something you've come up against where you wish people thought they were dealing with a bigger company? Like, how does it work? Yeah, it's like a 60-40 maybe. Uh, I think you get more serious clients, uh, like large, large companies. But I think people take you a bit more seriously if they think that you're an agency of 10 or 20 people. In terms of like uh, the type of work you get, like big, large brands and like what they think you can handle. Yeah, and I think, Possibly that's because of the niche that you have, because actually you're you're always likely to be dealing with, I guess, big companies with big marketing departments or. Yeah, I mean, I, I, for the most part, actually, I deal with smaller companies because I prefer my projects, the projects I do take on because I am a, a small studio. I can only take on like 20 to 25 projects a year. So all those projects, for the most part, have to have like a really fresh groundwork to where there isn't a lot done on them. Most oftentimes, like they're from scratch. But when you work with large companies, though, most often you have to work with a bunch of assets that are already established by other designers. And mm. so there's, there's a, it's a bit less creatively free yeah. in some respects when you work with bigger companies. Yeah. Does anybody you ever speak to think they're dealing with multiple people agency? Yeah, I think so. So I think it works on a certain level. There have been a few, a few emails where it's like, we look forward to speaking to you all and things <laughs> like that, which is fine. I mean, I'm fine with it either way. It's just a, it's a, it's a combination of a lot of different things. The whole naming, naming yourself, the studio. Yeah. What I like is that it, it suggests that Chad Michael is, you know, this genius designer, but you know, he's a studio. So he obviously has to, his, his work is so immense that he has to have all these other people working under him a bit like Stella McCartney <laughs> might. Yeah. It's, speaking of like, do you work with anybody else? Do you hire anybody else at all to do anything? I would say for the most part, no, but there are a handful of projects that I have, or I definitely will. Like there are certain illustration styles I come across that are outside of my, outside of my skill set. 
So like if you look at my site, you check out Wormwood Gin, that floral illustration was re-illustrated by Irene Lashy. She lives in Italy. And so I work with people all over. It just depends on the project. But for the most part, I try to keep it all in the studio. So in that instance, was that you who went and found her? Like you had an idea of how you wanted it to look? Yeah. So how the process kind of works when it comes to something like that is like, I'll create a design, a concept. I'll, I'll mock together pieces of the illustration because you have to get the structure of the label and how everything lays out and the style selection. So I, I for that project in particular, I pulled a bunch of references from botanical prints and I... Uh, comprise them together. And then I sought out Irene. I said, Hey, I got this mock-up. I need you to redraw it. And she takes the mock-up and it, which gives her a solid foundation to work from. And then she redraws it and puts her own creative spin on it and puts her talents into it. And it just brings a project to a whole nother level. Yeah. What's that experience like that, you know, that collaboration, because presumably you're, you're normally working on your own. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever had a, like a problem where I've ran into any hiccups to where like, oh, I'm like, oh, I don't like working with this person. And oh, she can't, she or he can't finish the project. It, it usually goes pretty smoothly. Um, I, you know, just a couple rounds of revisions here. The thing about, I think that helps a lot is the mock-ups the, that I provide on my end, the piecing together, whether it be like a woodcut style illustration, whatever the type of illustration is piecing that together in Photoshop in a way that feels so solid that when I pass that off, they don't really have a lot of questions. Like I don't have to develop this big 20 page brief that, Oh, this should look like this bug. And you know, like reference hundred million references. It's like, it's there. You just have to redraw it and make it look much better. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. Yeah. But so normally you work by yourself. Is that from home? How's that? Where do you work? Yeah, I do. I do. I, so we, what we did is when we bought a house, we uh, renovated the back two rooms into office space. So I work from home. It was a lonely experience at first, but now I'm, I've grown accustomed to it. Yeah, especially coming out of presumably quite a busy agency. Yeah, yeah. When you have to turn out stuff and there, there's, uh, there's not really any breaks, uh, when you work for yourself, it's all about self-determination or whatever it may be, but just limiting those breaks and making sure you're actually getting the work done that you're supposed to be done. Freelance is not for everybody. I mean, I know people who have tried it and been like, ah, oh, no, I need someone there to like tell me when stuff is new. It's You got to be self-motivated in, in that respect, I guess. And from a social point of view as well? For the first six months, I think, um, there's like a weird period where that you're acclimating to this isolated environment. And um, it took me about six months to get over. And then I was like, oh, I'm fine. I can go through a whole day. I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't you know, have any conversation. I'm fine. Uh, and so that's how I am now. But it was a weird period for a little while. And do you keep to, I don't know, some kind of structure to your day, given that your work is right next to where you live? My day is very routine. I think that's a, I think routine is a, uh, I mean, it can get dry after a while and you need to break it up, but a routine is a hundred percent necessary in workflow and getting your stuff done. So I, you know, I, I'm usually in the office. Uh, I wake up at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm usually after, you know, you know, uh, going for a morning run or eating breakfast or whatever it may be. I'm usually in the office around eight thirty or nine from nine to 10.30, I answer emails. There's a, always a bunch of odds and ends. I have a lot of different clients over the past couple of years. And so they'll reach out every once in a while and say, hey, I need this file just kind of tweaked or, we, oh, we need a quick banner for this thing. And so I have to knock out a bunch of tiny things. And then I can get into like fun design, new projects, new branding around noon. 
And so I usually work from like noon to six, which is like six hours. Cool. How, how did you find like you knew you could do it creatively after being in the agency, but how about the business side of it? Oh man, I'm still learning that part. The business side of it, it when it comes to talking to people, selling a job, I, I, I've I felt like I've always been pretty good at that. I can I can convey and describe, and I, I think I can get people motivated and behind ideas fairly easily. I think it comes with my personality a bit, I guess. But when it comes to like the financial side, like oh taxes and government stuff and accounting, like that's the stuff I'm still grasping. I like to draw pretty pictures. I don't like to like do any math. (laughs) (laughs) When you sit there and think about it, like, are you glad that you had that time working in the agency or do you wish that you'd been freelance sooner? Oh, no, Uh, I I wouldn't trade the agency experience for anything. I would say it's necessary for anyone who wants to do their own thing. You got to go in there and wiggle around and know the ropes in like real world situations before jumping out and trying to do your own thing. I mean, I learned a lot in agency, not not only like in terms of expanding my skill set, but like working with other people, for example, other illustrators, talking to clients, you know, selling proposals, all, all that kind of stuff. Like I learned all that. I, I got confident in my ways by being in those agency roles. So I wouldn't trade it. I, t- I timed out at a good time. I wouldn't have wanted to extend it anymore, but I wouldn't have lessened it. Yeah. And uh, just going back to the whole, you know, pretty routine finishing at 6 p.m. Does that mean then that the evening is is clear, the weekend's clear? Yeah. I mean, well, no and yes. So when I first started for the first couple of years, I worked nonstop. I was, uh, so I'd wake up, I'd be in the office at, you know, 8.30 or 9. I'd clock out like 10 a.m. or sorry, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Sometimes I work like through two to two in the morning. Now I've learned to balance life and work. And so I clock out at a reasonable time. That gives me time to, you know, hang out with the missus and tend to house stuff and whatever it may be. So it, it was a balance I had to figure out for a while. Yeah. How did you go about figuring that out? And was part of that like the workload? Yeah, I think it's just figuring out. It just You take a while to figure out what you're capable of and what you th- are capable of managing successfully. So I, I, fe- I feel like I've gotten to a point where I, I work after all the little tiny design requests from clients, about six or seven hours of focused design work during the day is all I need to, to be consistent and kind of keep up with everything. There's that occasional like long night, but you got to learn to like balance it, go live and explore and, you know, smell a flower or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so do you get to take breaks? Yeah. I mean, I, I like to, I travel a lot more than I used to. Uh, we kind of make it a point to travel and go, you know, visit the world as much as we can, kind of see outside of Texas, outside of the U.S. We definitely make it a point. It's I think it's healthy. I mean, it's not only that, it's good for design. Like, you, you know, going to different places throughout the world really expands your tool set when it comes to conceptual thinking and like uh, approaching certain ideas. I deal with clients in products that are set all over the world, whether it be in Italy or the Philippines or Malta Zabar or Canada. So knowing those areas and trying to make it there and experience that just helps 
whatever you're working on. That's a good point, though. Another thing that jumps out at me from your website as well is, well, you have a, a category called recognition. Is that something that you have gone after, or is it more a result of, is it your clients who submit these things to win awards? So it's a combination of the two things. So it's definitely a mixture of the two. I, I think one is I do submit things on my own. When something wins, it usually gets printed in something and people see it. And that's free advertising. I mean, people see that kind of stuff, especially when it's a spirit driven competition. So like liquor industries, they have like design competitions only for liquor. So if you win some of those competitions, people are looking, Hey, what studio, what design agency won that? I'm going to contact them for my thing. And then the other part is clients do submit the design after the fact. So that's always a good thing. All in all, it's like when potential people visit this site and they see the recognition on there, I think it makes them want to reach out more and they get more excited about it. And I just personally really like, there's something about winning those things. It's just, it's so, I can't describe it. It's such a good feeling. It's so amazing to think that people actually enjoy the stuff that I'm doing. It makes me want to create more stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not just the free advertising as it were, but actually it drives you creatively. Yeah. I think it does. I mean, and it's. The, I think would say the thing that drives me the most is when something comes off press and I hold it in my hands. That always gets me so excited. Like oh, I got to get back to the computer and create more shit, and let's keep on making tangible projects. You know, it's just so. Oh, it's great. I love it. It's so obvious how much you love it. And how about like the whole pricing of this sort of thing? Like, did you have a feel from that from the agency, or was that sort of side shielded from you? Yeah, I did actually. I well, I snuck a peek. I like I I was I don't think it was things I was like I wasn't not supposed to see them, but I they weren't for my eyes. Like it's a good to know what your competitors numbers are. That way you're pricing yourself appropriately. You're not undervaluing your services. My prices really range and it depends on sometimes it depends on the enthusiasm I have for a potential project. Like if I'm super excited about something and they have like a low amount of money, I'll most likely take it on. So that's it's always people. I get a lot of emails saying, hey, what's ballpark pricing? What's your pricing structure? I still don't have like a set one. I don't think it really kind of depends. But if somebody says that to you, like what, what do you say? Well, I always like to jump on a phone and talk to, with people in person because there's a lot of things that aren't said in an email that you can only say over the phone. I know that sounds weird. It's just like tiny little details to me. But to answer your question, I give a general ballpark. I say single project package designs range from like 9K to 15K US. And I, I give that like a starting point because I don't want people reaching out to you and um, wanting to do $250 logos or whatever, like you, you won't be able to live. So you, you want clients that have some kind of budget for the most part. To go against that, when people get on the phone with me and they say, oh, like I have a conversation with them and they, we connect on a certain level and their project sounds amazing and they say they only have like four grand or something to work with, sometimes I'll take it on. It's, it's a gauge of uh, not only what the project entails, but also the person, also the client. It's a lot about the client connection, I think. Yeah, that is good. So that does mean uh, a lot to you. And how do you go about keeping those relationships alive after a project? I mean, for the most part, I just they just keep emailing me asking for shit. <laughs> so, so we, so we just we keep it. Yeah, we just keep a, a nice banter. And I, you know, if they refer me sometimes to other people, or they have new products that come out, and 
I think I've only had one experience to where it was a complete client fallout and I've never heard from that person again. And that's bound to happen to one out of every whatever, but it, it happens. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself for you to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. So what do you have for me, Chad? Okay. Good luck with this. I jotted down three of them. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to tell them to you all monotone so you don't catch my inflection. Okay. I have won a drag queen competition. I collect silver in case of the apocalypse. I always put canned corn on my pizza. Oh my God, these are brilliant. Um, okay, so you won a drag queen contest. When, when, was that? <laughs> when was that? Absolutely, it was in the prime year of 2003. Anyways, I was in junior high. Was that like the, the, the common sort of school event was it like at the end of a year let, let's have a drag queen contest it was a one-off i would say uh i don't think they had done it in the years prior or the years after i think it started and ended with my class <laughs> and 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 did you say you won i did win i was the most beautiful girl you ever seen well i'm i'm imagining uh, i might not <laughs> sleep well tonight but i'm imagining did you get any help uh, my mother helped me out. <laughs> okay. You collect silver. What is it you hope silver is, is going to do? Is this like quite a vampire-based apocalypse or? No, uh, I'm not ridiculous. I'm not crazy, crazy. I'm only a little crazy. So silver is, is one of the, uh, I guess it's a mineral or whatever it may be, that is definitely going to hold value even after a government collapse. So it's something that you could barter with. It's something that people will always need to use, whether it be for forging materials, creating uh, new goods or trade or whatever it may be. But the currency of the paper dollar will fade away and metals like gold and silver will be highly sought after. And silver itself is it's like one of the things that will uh, always, I guess, maintain a sense of uh, value. Oh, my God. You are so believable. The final one is canned corn. You will always add canned corn to a pizza. Yeah, typically a whole can of canned corn to the topping of a, of a pizza. So it's usually cold or hot canned corn, and then I just dump it on top of a pizza. It's hard for me to eat pizza without corn. I know it's super weird, but I love it. <laughs> so, so if you were to order a pizza, you wouldn't ask, I know, Domino's or whoever you might have, please give me a pizza with lots of sweet corn on you. Do you have like a cupboard again for the apocalypse full of sweet corn so that you know you'll be okay. And then you empty the whole thing. You got it. How, how do other people in your life feel? Do you just get to have the pizza to yourself? Like, does anybody ever want to share pizza? <laughs> no, usually it's a half and like, I'll dump it on just half if there are other people in the room. But I mean, it's one of those things where it, you always have to be conscious of it. You just have to keep your own corn in the house. Um, we're a big pizza you know, family. So keep it stocked. And then if you go out to pizza restaurants that serve pizza, you just bring your own corn. <laughs> okay. I've got to say, you sounded so fluent and confident on the silver and the corn that I'm thinking the drag queen might not be true. You sound so, I don't know, the silver thing sounds really weird, but it's not that weird in in the realms of people who build bunkers and fill it full of sweet corn, for example. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of plausible. And, and let's face it, if the apocalypse doesn't come, 
you can just offload a load of silver. So it's not that weird. It's not like storing food. And so the drag queen one feels like it's not true. And yet I can't quite see where you would have made it up from. I don't know. Okay, I'm going to say the drag queen one is a lie. Incorrect. <laughs> it's uh, it's the apocalypse silver thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Honestly, I was sitting here thinking, oh, my God, am I not looking after my family by not investing in silver? (laughs) (laughs) To clarify, I do not take cream corn or corn to restaurants. I don't do that. Oh, really? Oh, that's a shame. No, but I I eat it at home. I can't eat pizza at home without it. It's only mildly deviant. I like it. Um, Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I would say definitely, like, I think a lot of designers agree with me on this part and probably have said this, but to to do uh, the agency life and to to work and probably do it for four or five years before going freelance. I know a lot of people that tried the freelance thing, as I mentioned earlier, and immediately out of college, and I don't think any of them made it to continue on doing the freelance thing. I think they gave up on it. I think a lot of it is that the education that's learned during a real world experience, so... That's what I would say, not to myself, I guess, but to other people who are considering doing freelance. To myself, I would say hire an accountant and a, and a tax consultant at the very beginning and don't try to do them yourself. Because it's like it's only like a couple hundred bucks a year to hire one someone over in the States uh, to do your taxes. And it saves you a lot of time and headache. Yeah, yes, wise words. Excellent. Let's chat. Thank you so much. It's, you know, it's so funny. Like, you know how we we touched upon it at the beginning about how you don't really share much of your personality within the stuff that you put out there in the world? Yeah. Do you know, like on Instagram or or even on your website? And yet you, you say how your personality gels with clients and stuff like that. It's yeah. in a world where so many people put themselves out there all the time and, uh, you know, branding, personal branding and all of that. You're, you're like this little enigma that I found. Of, um, I'm a mystery. I'm mysterious. Yeah. Uh, and I will never know what your dog looks like, and, or even if you have one. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway, listen, go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be links through so you can see Chad's website that we were talking about and uh, find him on Instagram as well. Uh, actually, that's something I meant to ask, though. You, you, you've obviously got a significant following. You said a lot of work comes from there. Have you consciously gone about building that uh, you know at some point you signed up and you had zero followers i did i mean i don't even post i think last year i posted like 40 times uh, i think it's just a matter of the content of the posting like i, I am conscious of like i think i know what pe- people are receptive to and like what will like get a lot of love and then in turn you'll get a lot of followers and then you get a lot of word of mouth and then that brings in the clients so I, I like to shoot the final product uh, in the best lighting as possible, like in the most beautiful way I can. I think that only not only does a lot of justice to how the actual physical piece looks in real life, but people respond to the beautiful photography. And I think they, it really resonates with them. I think the other thing I do is like I post a lot of logos or like I do like a big crop of like a really detailed area. So people respond to lots of logos and a lot of detail. <laughs> Mm. Do, do you take all of those images yourself? Yeah, I would say 90% of it, if you were to accumulate all the postings I've done, 90% of it is stuff that I've taken or stuff I've taken with a photographer that I work with who I, we photographed the bottles together here at a studio uh, in downtown. And then the other percentage is I'll repost from you know brands that I've done that are 
out in the marketplace or maybe they're doing something cool or they photograph something in a really unusual way. I would say that's like 10%. That's interesting though. Like we all know that it's possible to take a package design and use templates in Photoshop to make it look like it's on a t-shirt or on anything, but you're not doing that. Yeah, that's quite telling. I I can always tell when something's like a CGI image or a mock-up. And when you shoot something that's, especially when it's a package design for liquor, you're you know, you're looking at the paper stocks and the varnishing and the foiling and the embossing. It's all those like little things on like a micro level that you can only get with a camera, like with with an actual camera. Um, Some things just can't be faked. It's just even CGI looks fake to me. So (laughs) like movie stuff, you know. That's cool. Yeah. um, Check out Chad's uh, Instagram and and you'll you'll see what we're talking about. Listen, I've taken up enough of your time. You've probably got corn to to get to. but So many cans. (laughs) Thank you so much. Been a real pleasure and all the best being freelance. All right. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. 